0: Hello, everyone. This is Karin Eglinton, and I am here today with Intergifted founder Jennifer Harvey Salam. And we are back with our conversations on gifted trauma. And if you recall, last time we were having a conversation about uh, having shame around gifted trauma and having an experience of why am I not done yet? And we discussed. How it had much to do with our relationships and the mirroring that we receive from um, family, friends, coworkers, and all of our social relationships, what I call social ecosystem. And today, we thought to continue the conversation by discussing a little bit of the practical realities of what it takes to heal that trauma through attuned relationships. So that's going to be our discussion today, and I hope you find it interesting, fruitful, and useful. So Jen, tell us a little bit about what's on your mind around
1: this topic. Well, hello again, everybody. And as always, Karin, thanks for doing this with me and, and exploring this with me uh, for the benefit of, well, our own explorations, of course, but also the entire community and knows how far beyond um you know as we mentioned last time there's so little work done on this topic and so every little bit of information that goes out about it um you know constructive information that goes out about it i think is really helpful so i'm happy that everybody is tuning in and i'm happy that you're doing this with me and i'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to talk about this tough topic but important one so Mm, yeah
0: yes I, same here, I very much appreciate the opportunity to do this together, and it is always a pleasure.
1: Yeah, same. Mm. So I was thinking about this topic today in terms of, you know, the practical realities of cultivating an attuned relational system around us when we may have grown up uh, without one, or, um, you know, half and half, or some combination that wasn't sufficient for us and left us in a sort of you know traumatized situation socially traumatized situation and i was thinking back to um you know when i started intergifted and then the story before i started intergifted so i came back to understanding about giftedness right around when i was 28 and um so i had been identified as a kid and then my mentor mentioned it again to me when I was 28 and between those times I had I hadn't really thought of it um mm. I always knew I was you know quicker than most of the people around me and in, in sort of intellectual terms but that didn't translate into me thinking that I was gifted I, I didn't think about it that way and then uh, my mentor mentioned it to me and then I started exploring the the concept again and That led me to changing my whole work up because I, uh, even before, um, was really struggling to work with people. I was struggling to work with my clients because, well, most of them weren't gifted, as Mm -hmm. is usual in the population, and I was, you know, it was just a social mismatch. So speaking of gifted trauma, you know, that was kind of one for me. Like, by the time I got to my mid-20s, I thought, oh my God, I mean, I'm successful if I mask but I'm not successful if I don't mask, and uh, I don't know how I can do the rest of my professional life masking. This is this takes way too much energy, um, and I found myself getting mad at people, you know, getting mad at my clients, getting frustrated with them, and I thought, this is not me. This is not who I want to be, and yet I didn't know how else to do it, so at that time that I learned about my giftedness again then i realized oh i can still do this work but i have to do it with gifted people that's Mm -hmm. the way that it will that my work will be attuned to me and Mm -hmm. so i started to switch over and only take gifted people which was a is a whole very interesting story on its own because of the social stigma around the word gifted oh yeah i can imagine oh yeah and And I pretty much um, made that switch over when I moved to Switzerland. So that was also interesting coming into a culture where it's, you know, the culture here is much more open than some of the other cultures that, you know, um, the people that I work with, where people I work with are from, such as South Africa or the Asian, Asian countries or even Australia, some of the Nordic countries, you know, it can be giftedness is like even more you know, not just don't say that word, you know, um, the best word. word. Yeah, exactly. But here it's, it's more open and, you know, but it's not like being in the U S like where you can say it. And even if some people scoff at it, like everybody knows what it is and it's okay. So, I mean, there's a certain okayness about like being in a gifted program or something here. It's a bit different. So it was, it was actually an interesting challenge to kind of come out with it and say, okay, I only work with gifted people. But anyway, fast forward to me only working with gifted people and that became my specialty. And, um, and I was, you know, uh, made everybody laugh that I was really successful at it in the sense that, um, I had a lot of clients and then I, I, ended up, you know, always having a waiting list and, you know, kind of being, uh, overextended all the time, overbooked all the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, it's not what you that, would expect, right? from the outside. Yeah, exactly. yeah, because people are like, Oh, but it's such a niche population. Like yeah. how, how do you find people? But I was, I've always worked internationally. So, you know, that made a difference, but it was just kind of funny. Like, yeah, it, there were a lot of people and they all really, really wanted to continue sessions. And I just didn't have room for everybody. And so um, what was happening that I noticed was that people were, I mean, I do coaching as you know, and most of the listeners probably know I don't do therapy, but I do coaching. But even so um, I was still finding that people were healing trauma just by working with me because of what we talked about last time in in our last little episode, like, just having an attuned person you know a a gifted person who gets them who takes that whole part of the equation out like that whole like part of the social equation out where they have to explain that their mind is weird and their mind works like that and you know they think so many thoughts and they jump from one topic to the next and you know whatever they didn't have to do any of that with me and Um, I was excited by the meta thoughts as opposed to overwhelmed by them and so on and so on. And so a lot of their trauma was being healed, not because we were doing trauma therapy at all, uh, but because they were just getting good mirroring and they were going, oh my God, so I'm not crazy. Oh my God. So, um, so like my unusual value system has a good place, a good social place in the world, maybe not the whole world, but. A, a small part of it, because they could see it mirrored, you know, in me. Wow. Yeah. wow. <laughs> right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, it was, and it was a beautiful process to witness, as you know, you know, in yeah. the work that you do as well with clients. But there came a point where people inevitably like, you know, 99% of my clients or maybe all of them at some point would say, okay, this is so great. So where do I meet other people like us? Yeah. and then i just like look at them you know and on skype usually and go like well i don't really know what to tell you you know i was always slow to recommend mensa yeah um and some of the other ones that uh, other um social groups that seemed let's say somehow more focused on like the black and white aspect of giftedness like either you are you're not and if you are you can be with us and if you're not you can't as opposed to like all of the nuances of giftedness like you can have like a gifted psychopath sorry but i mean you can You can have like a really kind gifted person and that makes a huge difference and i don't want to spend my time with the first one i'd rather spend my time with a non-gifted kind person and and you know and all the nuances i mean i'm just bringing that (laughs) super extreme example up but i mean all the nuances, you know, of of social awareness and emotional intelligence, and all of the extra things that that you can have uh, with giftedness, and um, a lot of the people I was working with, they really wanted that. They wanted a different kind of nuance than than some of the um, high IQ societies give, you know. So, I would say, well, there is Mensa. You could try it, you know. Some I have had clients that have joined Mensa with really good results. They've made good friends. They've made really good connections. And then I've had a lot of, you know, I've heard a lot of not so positive things about it as well. A lot of, let's say intellectual ego, one-upping and all of these kinds of things. And yes, my clients just, they're not, that's not really what they're looking for. You know, they're not looking to feel superior. They just want to connect. Yeah. It's like
0: a a whole person thing. Uh, Yeah. All parts of the person not just the achievement, uh, aspect or the, especially the intellect.
1: Right. Exactly. Because, of, you know, some of the high IQ societies focus on that kind of eminence model. And for a lot of us that didn't, I mean, I did not grow up in a situation that was going to make me be an eminent person in any field. Like I did not have that background or, or you know, encouragement at all. So, um, yeah, and then, yeah me neither. <laughs> Exactly and I and I, and I and I don't even know if my value system would support that like I don't that's not what's really essential to me um, and maybe we can just make a note here that maybe we should come back at some point to the concept of engendering um, as a form of giftedness because that's something that's been written about and it's really interesting for I think a lot of our people who connect socially through um, through through basically, Supporting other people socially, or so supporting other people in mm-hmm. in in, th- in their thriving, which is a very different form of, you know, a, a different expression of giftedness than I am um, basically like me my ego and accomplishing things and right.
0: being then, the person in center stage and right.
1: yeah, receiving yeah. Accol- yeah yeah. So just no, mentioning no, that, no. I, I think it would be a good thing to come back to. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, um, but so kind of getting back to the story so people um were asking me and I was like just not sure what to tell them I was like you know look around in your in your family in your you know in your your circle of friends at work and see if anybody's like you you know and if they are then you might have to go up to them and and kind of broach the topic somehow or another like yeah (laughs) out then they go oh my god how would I say that and I'm like yeah I don't know (laughs) hey are you gifted too I mean it just Uh, yeah it gets really socially weird yeah Um, so people were finding people sometimes and you know they were excited about it but it'd be like one person and then if they happen to have like a really drastic um difference in giftedness level so like let's say my client was profoundly gifted and they would meet somebody who was mildly gifted Mm -hmm. that would be really great for a bit but it would you know there would be a cutoff point where then my client would still be going so to speak and the mildly gifted person would have gone far beyond the norm but would not be interested in continuing on right. or would not, let's say cognitively i don't want to say able but i mean just yeah the, that's it's just it's, not the, the the way that that a mildly gifted person works it's right exactly yeah and vice versa you know so there were some mildly gifted people who would find a profoundly gifted person and they'd be like oh i really like this person but i'm then they're like really overwhelming to me at some point so yeah
0: exactly so which which is typical re-triggering for a person who has relational trauma yeah yeah exactly it's like it's like undermining the hope that the person might have gotten perhaps in coaching with you or the idea that then giftedness is a key to to healing this relational aspect and then finding another gifted person but with without that granularity to be able to know okay there's levels of giftedness and that makes a difference on how we're going to be able to connect and then just like stepping into that trauma trigger again
1: absolutely and it's honestly one of the one of the things that led me to study as much as i have and you know sort of become a whatever I'll super quote expert mm-hmm. on giftedness because um because of this thing that i was seeing that i was eventually you know i was i started connecting clients to each other here and there just a little bit here and there when it seemed like a really safe thing to do and oh, mm-hmm. well, they're both gifted so they're gonna they're gonna get along just fine and then sometimes they they truly didn't. And I would think, oh, well, that wasn't that was not what I expected. And um, I, I kind of had to figure that out. Like, what is that? Like, yeah, there are different the same value systems which play a part, different personalities, different cultures, different things. But there was something, yeah, about that that was either people being underwhelmed or overwhelmed. And and it surprised me. And so then I started paying a lot closer attention to the giftedness level question. Um, and started learning a lot about that. And then it started making a lot of sense. So yeah. anyway, one day, one of my clients said, you know, have you ever thought of like, starting a group where you could, you know, get all your clients together all at once? And I was like, no, <laughs> that was scary. I would have no, no control over that. And that like, I don't know, somebody could end yeah. up killing somebody. And so I can't, i can't bear like the ethical responsibility of that
0: i have this picture of what that was like in your head at that <laughs> moment from hearing you tell the story now i'm like oh god it's like like unpredictable chemical reactions <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it was it was like oh my god putting all of these ingredients into a soup and i don't know uh-huh. if it's going to blow up or uh-huh, what so uh-huh, uh-huh. um but then you know i mean now we everybody that's listening knows the the outcome of the story so Everybody knows I, I did eventually listen uh, to the idea, but it took me about from the time he mentioned it, it and then he kept in, he, you know, every session he'd say, but have you thought more about it? I really need it. <laughs> um, and then other clients, you know, I would ask where should I meet somebody? Uh, what Where should I meet other gifted people? And then I was like, well, I have a client that's asking me to do this. I've been thinking about it. And they'd say, yeah, yeah, do it. I'll help out. You know, <laughs> So then I had like this whole chorus of clients kind of cheering, cheering me on, you know, to do it. And, um, So at some point I I went for it and everybody knows the end of the story. Um, Thank goodness you did. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you can all thank a really cool guy here in Switzerland who was very, very insistent on on it happening. Yeah. Um, But um, what then was interesting is that I still had, despite the experiences that I had had with matching clients up and sometimes it's just not being the right fit or them not knowing how to interact with each other or whatever um I still had a lot of you know naive uh projections about mm-hmm. what the community would be like and mm-hmm. I thought oh yeah you, you, know, you get everybody in a in a room everybody's going to be supportive and everybody's going to reach out to each other and just be super excited to connect so yeah you know the more everybody extra- knows what it's like to be alone Yeah, exactly. I mean, I thought, well, everybody struggled so much. And so like when, you know, if everybody's starving and then I, you know, kind of bring a feast, so to speak, everybody's just going to sit down and start eating and enjoy, like, and be grateful and enjoy things. And God, I was really, you know, not, not 100% wrong because of course there were some people who were at that point who were ready to come for, you know, in that way. Yeah. But I was very wrong that it would be everybody. Uh, or the majority, and it was, I, when, I, when I started, I mean, it's this, you know, kind of the, the funny irony that everybody that's close to me knows very well, that I started Intergifted in some ways, so most of it was the social connection aspect, but the other factor for me was um, having, um, being able to have other coaches on an, in a network so that I could refer to other people, because I was so overbooked all the time, I never had time to work on my books and everybody that knows that I'm a writer knows you need time to you know, work on a book and it's mm-hmm. a little time. And so I thought, Oh, well, if I could have a network of people that I could refer to coaches that I could refer to, then I will be less busy. And then I'll have this, um, you know, community and everybody will be like meeting their social needs that way and kind of overcoming their social trauma that way. And so like, that's a lot off my back, you know? So mm-hmm. I helped, people without having to always be present and then you know dot 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 <laughs> <laughs> so I started the community and then I saw that oh my god even you know even when they're sitting in front of the feast of food a lot of people literally have lost the will to eat they've lost yeah. the knowledge of how to eat yeah. they um they're scared they don't know what to do yeah. they don't even know how to be grateful for what's there like it just you know they're cynical, like uh, all across the board. So yeah, like, I mean, I don't want to paint the you know, terrible picture because there were, like I said, there were a lot of people who jumped right in and, and went for it, but, um, but a lot of people struggled and that hasn't changed. So it's been interesting, you know, we've been alive, so to speak, for the last three and a half years, um, technically almost four, because we, we started before the group, before the Facebook group was actually, um, you know, live. And in all of this time, um, we've seen a lot develop, you know. So like you're you came in a few years ago and now look what you've developed too, you know. So I've it's been wonderful. I've been able to see and and experience all of that and share and all of that. Um, but we but even with all of that, we still see people who join today, you know, yesterday, today, last week, last month, Mm -hmm. who come in with all of the stuff I just said, cynicism fear just a lack of knowledge of how to connect because they're so used to not connecting they're so used to being distrustful they're so used to you know people judging them for their unusual minds or whatever else and or or even if it's not so negative and it's more let's say neutral like maybe they have all this creative energy but they don't know what to do with it yeah so it's
0: yeah i mean or not knowing like how, what healthy boundaries look like. And they're yeah, that's a big one. They are not okay to share uh, oversharing yep. at times, undersharing at others. So um, it, it's, it's, it's really sort of harkening back to very early childhood learning phases that hopefully would have happened, but didn't happen. And trauma happened instead. And now it's like having to start from scratch. And yep. some, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to um, interject here and talk a little bit about what it was like for me because I feel like I was a little bit like starving at the feast at the beginning. Yeah, um, I don't think I I am such a um, extreme example, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I could say, for example, that you know, like I joined only months after you had first opened the group, right? Yeah, yeah, may- maybe months, but I was like almost completely quiet. Like just lurking for a bit, and um, and while I love seeing that like sort of like whole person embracing of giftedness versus the intellectual, uh, the intellectual only modality or the eminence only modality was very refreshing to me. I was very guarded, for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, and at the same time, uh, having this like, well, I was having the mismatch with the giftedness levels. And mm-hmm. I didn't know about giftedness. And so I was actually feeling very quickly disappointed. Because my sort of like main focuses have always been like existential, spiritual, um, very, like very deep seeking, you know, deep diving. And uh, I didn't see that right away. I saw um pain, you know, and mm-hmm. people, in pain and people being uh struggling to understand what it means to be gifted and to accept it and am I really gifted and having a lot of imposter syndrome and so on and so forth. And I I didn't feel like I struggled with that. So I didn't see my struggles mirrored. And I was I was very wary because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And um and I even, you know, like private message with a couple of people and when I shared some of my interests then those people were like, "Oh," but there was no like, there was no further development. There was no like, "Oh, me too." Or this is mm-hmm. so interesting. Uh, it was more like, "Oh, that's nice for you." <laughs> that's the for you would be the part that I added on in my mind. You know, like the, the self shaming aspect of not mm-hmm. being weird again. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, thankfully, the thrust for creating the HABG group happened not so long later and uh and then I knew oh oh there's a piece I was missing yeah and yeah um I don't know it's it's really interesting to be on that end of the person who's willing to be at a feast and starve and to have very good reasons to do so in your mind (laughs) (laughs) Mm And. and yeah, around the time that I joined the ATPG group, then I started coaching with you, right? I'm trying to get my timeline.
1: Yeah, I think it was a little bit later, but more or less, yeah.
0: Yeah, I have also like blurry things also because I was very sick at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so things are, are sort of blurry in my mind. However, um, yeah, I, I think I'm one of the people of you know of the people i know my my story is fairly iconic as to um relational isolation and alienation because of my background in trauma because of the family i grew up in because of the culture i grew up in where giftedness was not only uh it was simply just not not part of the cultural narrative at all it's like uh not even acknowledged and then shunned it was just not there Yeah. Um, Like the educational system and so on was very, um, very basic. And so, somehow, the personal choices that I made as a kid and the, um, let's say, yeah, just my character, right? (laughs) Like my temperament, all those things blended together to create sort of like a cocoon around myself where I would. Very much like allow myself to connect on the surface and have acquaintances and have what I thought in my head as so called friends, um, not necessarily with spite in my mind or in my heart, but with this, you know, like, okay, this is not my personal definition of friendship, but I understand it's there. And to, uh, to allow myself to go along with that all the while trying to keep as little contact as possible because I felt there was something inside me that was very potent and and somehow it mattered to me and I wanted to not let the outside world um, ruin it for me in a way. Yeah. Um, and, so, and, and so there was, of course, the trauma and the pain and the painful experiences and the humiliating experiences of others there was also like a personal choice to say, okay, well, if that's the case, then I will just go around the world with a big cocoon and just bury myself in there to keep myself intact as long as I can and see if I can find others. Um, Some of these, of course, weren't like conscious thoughts, but if I look back, they were sort of Mm semi-conscious. Yeah. And, uh and yeah, and I don't know, meeting you, I guess, was the first uh deep contact with another profoundly gifted person. And that opened for me, just like you described, all the all the vistas and the possibilities of oh, I don't have to explain <laughs> this is okay to just exist. <laughs> this, these are not flaws, they're just they're they're not bugs their features <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um and yeah i don't um i i feel like i'm losing a little bit of my thread but if you maybe like help me regain the um the ground of what you know we're circling around
1: yeah um, but I, well i think what i mean like i think to you, feel, right yeah and what i think is so powerful about your story of coming in because like I can say these things from a theoretical level, you know, but mm-hmm. by the time I had come into gifted, I had had a fair amount more mirroring. I mean, even though it was through mo- mostly through my clients, plus I'm lucky that, you know, my husband is also gifted. Um, but, um, I had had, you know, a lot of years of working like all day, every day. That was my work with gifted people. So i had had a lot more mirroring a lot more experience i had been able to work yeah. through all of these themes and so you know it's i mean it's it's interesting to hear it from me but You know, on a sort of structural meta level, but emotionally, it's more powerful to hear it from you because when you came in, you were still feeling those things.
0: Yeah, I was, I definitely was. I think there's a little bit of a difference with me and some other people that we've seen who have managed to come out of their cocoon or have managed to heal those relational aspects. In that, I think by the time that I had joined Intergifted, I had um, moved past the sort of like deep learned helplessness mm-hmm. aspect. The, you know, like, um, you know, like I remember, you know, first joining P G and then posting um, you know, a little bit and then doing one of the P G calls. And then after the call discussing like, you know, who in the call we had discussed something about uh, why will help, More people feel safe. Like it's funny, right? Like even back then, we're already talking about that in the group. What would help people feel safe to share their stories and their their feelings and their you know all their personal stuff in the group? And then I proceeded to do the survey in the group (laughs) (laughs) and to just like gather some data and see like why is it that some people are posting and some people aren't? And I think. Um, you know, like this is not to toot my own horn, but just like an example to say, I I think I have moved past this, like, um, the sense that the, the place at the table has to be like pointed out to me. Yeah. Um, which helped me, but I know that there are some others who, who needed maybe like a little bit more time or a little bit more warming up because there was a feeling of if I do take initiative, bad things will happen. Yeah. And that again to legitimize it and to say well there's it, it, there's an experience of fame, but there's nothing wrong with it just part
1: of the process as well. yeah 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 and I think on even met like I mean we're talking about our community and for, by the way for anybody who doesn't know what HEPG is it stands oh. for high, <laughs> exceptional, highly exceptionally and profoundly gifted people and that's our um, that's our little acronym for for our group. So.
0: Yes. yes, thank you for uh, filling the gaps there for me. Um, yeah, yeah so, so maybe I can talk a little bit more about what happened after and then we can explore the meta themes. Yeah, go for, go for it. So, so basically, um, I started really taking in the idea that there are peers and, and taking that to heart and understanding that the cocoon has served me well for all this time. And now it's time to open up the cocoon little by little or else, you know, it's very, very archetypal or else I will not be able to grow any further. Yeah. Um, And so that was, um, you know, a good few months where I really made a practice and regularly of posting in the group, uh, publicly responding to other people's posts. But also recognizing that if I if I wanted to get what I needed, I was gonna need to make friends. And <laughs> mm-hmm. <yeah. Yep. laughs> I know you know how I mean that. I'm <laughs> gonna have to make this thing called friends. <laughs> yep. Um, and that to, in order to do that, there would need to be like risk and investment on my part, and also um the experience probably of rejection like that was (laughs) that was the part that was looming large in my mind at the time I was like okay here's a pool of people I can't get like I had to talk myself through it and say I can't get hooked on just one being my best friend now (laughs) Uh, and and I need to really you know like try to have conversations with as many people as will let me and and see where that takes me and and I had to basically like brace myself every time for the like like waves of like anxiety and the shame hangover like the vulnerability hangover
1: afterwards totally Um, and I want to point out for anybody listening that she's not just talking about uh, a conversation in a thread on, on in the posts she's talking about live video chats mm-hmm. private chats yeah like yeah, a more yeah, vulnerable I gonna, kind I gonna, of reaching out yeah.
0: yeah i was definitely like training myself in, in like reaching out via private message to people whose thoughts i found interesting or who well I, i'm Pretty intuitive. So sometimes it wasn't what they wrote, but it was just like their name would sort of like glow to, me. <laughs> and sometimes they didn't even say much, but it would just glow. So then I would reach out to them, and, and you know, like wait for a response. You know, respectfully ask, "Hey, would you like to talk more? Could we meet over Skype?" This kinds of things. So yeah, just like you're saying, face to face talking and meeting and the more I did that the better like the, the better experiences I had and sure enough I did have a few rejections but because I had, had some really nice experiences with other people the rejections were just part of the game you know they were part of the process of learning to shed my cocoon and learning how it is to be a, a healthy adult who has intimate relationships
1: yeah yeah. Which is like such an important point because I think a lot of people are really at the uh, stage, I mean, people who have had a significant amount of gifted specific trauma, um, you know, they come into a community like ours at the stage of, of trauma, you know, of, of having lived through trauma where you're like, if I, if I get that kind of thing one more time, I'll crumble like i i can't i cannot bear having that whatever in you know in your case rejection i cannot bear being rejected one more time um and and you know it's always the it's always that that might be true if all you're getting is rejection but once you start to get the positive you know then you can it's like you can handle a bit more of the the pain you know it it, it starts to change the way that the pain feels like if again it's starvation like if you've eaten some you can then you know starve a little bit without dying but if you haven't eaten any then then you know every every extra second of starvation is an actual survival risk and so that feeling i mean even though and so you know people go well, like we talked about last time, minimizing gifted specific trauma. Well, well, you know, starvation is an actual physical thing, but me not having, you know, people that understand me, I can't complain about that. Like, look, I'm healthy. I'm, you know, I have enough, whatever. I have a roof over my head and I, so I shouldn't complain. And it's like, yeah, but all of this, as we mentioned in the last episode, like all of this is physically very real. It's yeah. like in your soma. So it yeah. feels just like survival questions. Yeah,
0: usually when people tell me something like what you just described, I send them to research the work of Don Kachiopo who created a whole body of work on loneliness and he described it as a physical hunger as a biological hunger, in that it just like hunger it will damage your system. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it, actually the starvation metaphor is not so much of a metaphor and and there is scientific work to back that up so the the fact that we sometimes conceptualize it or try to minimize it of course is a self-protective thing like not looking at the wound helps us compartmentalize a little bit um but when we're ready to heal then we need to decompartmentalize and and understand the full extent of it i think yeah
2: yeah yeah absolutely
0: (laughs) yeah I wanted to also you know, add, this is something that I've shared in my course and some of my like, um, Zoom, Zoom videos and, uh, around the topic of relationship, which is, uh, I always say, like I came to research and create a body of work on relationship and the importance <laughs> of relationship because of such relational failure. Um, and it's sort of like me making lemonade out of the lemons life gave me kind of thing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so it was also sort of funny ironic and and interesting too to to come to this group with my fir- where my first experiences of real social belonging like a, a real sense of actual belonging like oh i found my people <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, well i wanted that feeling so much all my life and i'm like ah there they are you know Mm-hmm. And so I had uh, taken, you know, years of my life studying and trying to figure out and creating models of how can I be better at relating with others? Because I took the, the burden on myself that my relationships didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I became intensely interested in, in relationships and in the existential aspects of relationships as well as the aspects of it. And so when I, but it was only when I came into a real place where I could find mirroring and attunement that I could make good use of those things that I learned because before it was just so that I could um, sort of bridge gaps uh, in this overextending kind of way, like really what you called, Jen, you called it spinning plates less conversation. (laughs) So it was helping me spin plates way better but it wasn't helping me feel, um, the, the goodness of
1: healthy relating. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when, um, when people come in, you know, they don't necessarily, they don't necessarily see it as like, okay, this is a new social playground and, um, it's going to take me a while to like, sort of figure out how to use the equipment and see which, which equipment I enjoy the most and which friends I enjoy playing with the most and get to know the kids. And so to speak, so it's like, um, to come in and to go, okay, I've got these tools that I've learned about, or I have like, you know, relational theories or whatever that I've learned about, but here's this new kind of playground and it's going to take some experimenting here to figure out how, what I already know applies to this world here. Yeah. Um, And realizing that, like, if you never got, if you never had that sense of belonging, you know, you'll, you're used to trying your relational theories in a very, um, well, dysfunctional way. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. And so to come in, it's, I mean, a lot of people have seen this, that they come in and they start doing what they would normally do uh, to try to connect and it doesn't work it overwhelms people it confuses people it whatever for whatever reason it doesn't work and um if they think that it, it should work right away you know mm-hmm. in, in that like it, you know if you're coming in and you don't have these issues then it, it'll work and it's going to be fine but if you're coming in with a lot of you know this relational trauma and like a lot of theories or, you know, theories that you've made in your head about why things don't work or what you need to be in a relationship and so on. And you come in and you have that, you know, dysfunctional level of application. You're just naturally going to do it in the new space as well. And people have really, you know, thanked me a lot over the years for, for creating Intergifted because, you know, it's a group where you can come in and make some, you know, relational faux pas and typically uh it's i mean it's a supportive group not a support group but a supportive group Mm -hmm. so it's not going to be like oh you did something weird you're out it's like you did something weird how can we help you in the future so that you can connect better and you don't have to be you know going through this dysfunctional stuff um And, you know, I mean, we have the different levels of support for that. Like we do have the coaching, we have the mentoring and the workshops and stuff. So there's like more, you know, professional structural support for that, for people who really need that level, like Mm -hmm. just interacting in the group, isn't going to be enough to help them resolve their dysfunctional, uh, you know, the the dysfunctional application of their previous knowledge.
0: Exactly. Um, Yeah. 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 I, I remember that I, I think i told you this back then too that that was one of my biggest stumbling blocks like i was afraid of stepping wrong and at the one time it's like i was mm-hmm. always dreading the big mistake that would get me like expelled you know? <laughs> <laughs> or prisons like go go into jail do not pass go you know? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm-hmm. um And I was, and I knew it was completely irrational, but that didn't stop my body from being like, do not do anything, do not engage. Because if you make this mistake, or if you, it's like, there's going to be a moment where you will have said too much, you will have reached the end of the tolerance of the group or of the person you're talking. And then that moment, they will turn their back on you and be like, okay, you've done it now. Mm -hmm. And so I, I've heard that echoed lots of times. Uh, me here. too. Yeah. And me
1: too. And I've heard it. Oh, sorry. Go okay. ahead. Yeah. Um. I've just heard it echoed, especially in the sense that people go, "Well, this is. I mean, this is it for me. Like, if I'm going to find my group, this is. You know, if I'm going to find my tribe or a place I belong, it's this one. So I really can't screw it up. Yeah. I really like. Like the stakes are really, really high. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, well, the stakes are high, but you still have to do the work. Like it doesn't, yeah. I mean, it doesn't ex- excuse you from, you know, taking the risk. And there, and it
0: helps to note there's a level of flexibility and a level of, um, you know, like patience and, and compassion that others will have for a person who's like completely new to the, to this new, healthier system. Yeah. And that there's like support systems, you know, for more intensive interventions or for more intensive uh, help. But like you say, of course, it needs to be self-led, self-driven. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, I would say for this whole process of of trauma healing, the social relational um, process of trying in a supportive space is like this one big experimental intervention that we have to like you know like make notes and notice our thoughts and be super mindful and then just try one more thing within within our sense of comfort within our sense of what we can tolerate just like little by little
1: try something new yeah yeah absolutely and um i think one other important point i mean and this is specific to our community but in a sense i guess it's also generalizable because so much connection happens online now is like also kind of understanding how you can connect online and like what is like what is your purpose for connecting online and, yeah. and what do online connections mean to you and what's reasonable to expect from an online connection with somebody who you know, maybe they have like a fake profile, like maybe they have a pseudonym and a fake picture. And so like you maybe, maybe you're not even getting like real name and real picture, you know, mm-hmm. and like, that's okay. I can totally connect with somebody that I, you know, that has a picture of a cat and, you know, calls themselves meow or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I can totally connect with them. That's cool. Like, I don't need to know what their face looks like. But it does change what I, you know, like the level of intimacy that I expect from the connection. And that's something that gifted, you know, gifted specific or not, I've really, I've, I've seen that that's a, that's a you know, a, a current issue for a lot of people, kind of sorting through what can they expect in terms of connection from an online situation. And that's one of the reasons that it's like, for the gifted specific aspect, yeah, the online connection, the intellectual engagement, and stuff is—it is really, it's wonderful. Like, I love our groups, and I, mm-hmm. I've benefited immensely from them. But it's, one level, you know, it's not that next level that most of us also need.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah, I'm so glad you're bringing that up because um, I can also say, like, putting myself back in the in the body of myself back then. Um, having so little reference points uh, mm-hmm. to learn and 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 know what to expect in my case it wasn't so much uh, the aspect of what to expect from an online connection I felt sort of okay with that kind of boundaryness and to not and, and to uh, understand the limitations of online mm-hmm. um, but there were other places where I was really like like I look back and I'm like how I had no idea <laughs> yeah. uh, for instance just the aspect of like people having different overexcitability profiles yeah. and so learning to understand that just because somebody's gifted doesn't make it them like me and doesn't make it like them yeah. and knowing that I can therefore expect difference also in interest as to how deep people want to go with a certain topic or a certain level of exploration and it can range the gamut from like, you know, all topics in science or things about relationships or self exploration, really you know, uh, plumbing the depths of your psyche.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: for some people that's not their cup of tea. For me, it is. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. so learn to have a lot of respect and discernment as to where people are at with that and to check. You just like, you know even overtly check like is this something that interests you will you be explore this with me do you have previous knowledge that kind of thing before launching on like opening the fire hose in their face is the image (laughs) I always always use Um, because I think uh, it's, it's unfortunately one of the things that is very common for a gifted person with relational trauma that we tend to open the fire hose in everybody's face as a test to see if they're going to be our friend or not. Yeah. Yeah. If they're going to judge us for who we are, or you know, it's, it's just one presentation. I'm not generalizing overall, yeah. but it's one common thing that I've seen where people call this being themselves. I would have called it being myself. Yeah. And that, you know, this, this, I'm just being myself and other people Um, become very overwhelmed with me without realizing that there's a moment of choice where you can open that valve or not. Yeah. (laughs) Then Mm
2: -hmm. we just open
0: the valve. And um, I want to be very careful when I'm sharing this because, of course, this is not like victim blaming or anything. It's just something that we have not learned how to be boundaried around and to do so without hurting ourselves. Uh, And there's a lot of compassion for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think, I mean, uh, these are some of the, you know, relational growth steps that co- that that show up when you are healing from relational trauma, like, you know, turning on the hose in, you know, in a situation where actually you're hurting the person in front of you and you, you're you disconnecting from them by turning on the hose and you would have a choice whether to do it or not. Um, I mean, or let's say that you realize later you, you would have the, you know, theoretically you'd have the choice, hypothetically you'd have the choice. Um and then you know kind of watching that happen a few times and realizing that you don't you don't have to do that with somebody who is who you're gonna hurt by doing that. Because but uh, you know Mm -hmm. that becomes a lot easier to do when you have people that you aren't hurting by doing that who are like, ah yes, bring it on. I'd like more please, you know. Um and so it cause, it creates the reference points to tell the difference. Yeah, right. Exactly, and that's something that people, you know, have yeah, have felt quite a bit of shame about. But um, but then you, I, I always encourage people like, yeah, but you know, you'll make the mistake a few times. Like it's going to happen. That's part of the healing process. It's just be ready to take responsibility for it and say, wow, I can see that, you know. I, I was testing you, oops, I'm sorry, that's not how I want to be relating to you. I want to be relating to you as an equal, not as a, you know, authority over my okayness or whatever the case might be. Um, so it's, yeah, there's a lot of work that's done around exactly what you just said, when people are healing from trauma. And again, there's, you know, this is where, this is a, I mean, you heal from relational trauma in relationships, typically. Yeah. So yeah. like, this is the, this is the grounds, for, you know, for that. So not to say like, oh, come to our group and heal your relational trauma. It, I mean, it, it, that's not the primary point, but the point is like, just like I said, when I started coaching gifted people that their trauma was being healed just in relating with me, not through direct, you know, um, what's the word? Um, not through like direct confrontation on the issue or something, but just, yeah through them being aware and testing things out and experimenting with me and and making some relational mistakes with me and you know and and then working through it because of having this different reference point but of course i don't i'm sounding like a real expert or something at that but i've been through it myself so it's not like i'm saying oh those people i'm saying us
0: yeah yeah we definitely have been through the whole gamut yeah yeah Um, Yeah, what I thought about was like the sort of like the difference in some ways, like I'm making an analogy between the experience of being in attuned relationships or relationships where the possibility of mirroring can happen Mm -hmm. and and therapy, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Has two options. And then it would be an an analogy to like making art versus Having art therapy, where it's like if you make art, you might work through some really difficult experiences, but that's not necessarily the point of the art. Whereas in art therapy, it is. Mm-hmm. And so there's like a pleasure for its own sake in the relating to other gifted people, and a you know it's like an intrinsic motivation for the experience of it for many other aspects of it, like for the fun of the conversation, for uh, being exposed to new ideas, for um, being able to, you know, discuss experiences and like hear the me too's uh, like, oh yeah, this, you, you do this weird thing, I do it too. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. And in all those steps on a background level, the trauma is being healed because the experiences are disconfirming
1: our previous experiences of lack of mirroring. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to throw in one more thing a little bit, uh, two steps back to what you were saying before. Yeah. Um, And the the kind of elements that we were talking about, you know, being aware of, like you were saying, that not everybody's interested in profound, you know, uh, self-seeking, self-realization or these kinds of things and, um, and realizing that or the OE profiles or something like that. And, something in a community like ours that's I think extremely important to keep in mind and you and I both know this uh, intimately because we're both you know we've both lived most of our adult life outside of our home country um Mm -hmm. and um you know mixing cultures like we do in a group like ours means that you know you may have an idea about what life is all about and what you know what values are supreme in life and so on and so forth and you may meet other people in the groups that just they don't gel with that. Like you know the American individual, uh, the, the classic American individualism, like the you know the rough individualism kind of um, it can really clash with some of the you know European cultures and other cultures in the world. And yeah, it's that's something that I've seen a lot happen, where somebody will come in with. You know, pretty strong ideas of what it means, for example, to be authentic, and will sort of interact as though that's everybody's standard for authenticity or whatever word, whatever value, Um, and then not get that mirrored back in the same way, or only get that mirrored back from, let's say, people from the same culture or something, and you know that can lead to a lot of confusion. And so I I'm regularly reminding people you know, to be thinking about the cultural aspect, too, because somebody that comes in with a strong, and I know this, you know, coming from, from, you know, I grew up in the US. And then I remember when I was first living in Italy. I mean, I brought, I brought the individualism with me. And I I was like, I'm just going to liberate all of you, all of you who are stuck in this, you know, collective mindset, I'm just going to liberate you to be these, you know, these, these individuals with your own autonomous, you know, everything. And, then, you know, spending a few years, I realized, oh God, I was terribly naive and really missing out on some of the beauty of a more collectivist culture. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's been something that I've worked with a lot of people on in, you know, in the community is saying you might come with things that you project on, onto, you know, onto humanity as what's normal and what's healthy and whatever, because of the way you were raised and you might not get that mirrored back. And that might feel like traumatic to you if you come from you know a history of relational trauma but before you start blaming yourself you know Mm -hmm. before you start telling yourself oh look I'm trying to be whatever I'm trying to be authentic and nobody's mirroring that back to me think about the cultural differences because this might not be a a gifted issue it may be a cultural issue as well
0: absolutely which brings to mind also the level of neurodivergence that we have yeah that's something else that I've been uh, reminding people always of course uh, especially when it's like family children things like that there's yeah. worlds of difference that sometimes we can't even see uh, with a culture in a way like you you can kind of learn it uh, in ways that you can't learn neurodivergence <laughs> yeah and yeah. yeah and so it's like we're we're really like a whole galaxy of individuals yeah, <laughs> yeah very well said. each person is his own solar system you know yeah. and and learning to respect those differences and learning to imagine that there is difference helps us to depersonalize the pain of uh, where things don't match or they you know we don't meet at this place then it's not personal. It's not about me, not because I did something wrong or because I'm flawed in some way. It's because we're different and that has nothing to do with personal, you know?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people that have had relational trauma in the past, especially gifted specific, um, in terms of not having any gifted mirroring or whatever, um, you know, they might come in and they might have this... um, you know, this real need, like a real need for sameness, like a real need for, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I need people that are the same as me that think the same as me, you know, kind of like almost like a bit of tribalism. I hate to say it, but you know, like, because that's a very basic feeling of, it's a very easy, unmistakable feeling of belonging because you don't have to work at it. You know, we're all the same, you know, we all have the same color skin, so we definitely belong or whatever. Like there's, you know, there's that, there's that really basic level. And on you know, for anybody who's traumatized, typically what's happening is you're traumatized at a certain let's say age you know mental age, physical age, whatever and so it's kind of like things kind of loop always back down to that wherever that developmental stage is and so it can be it can be you know your, your, your cognitive shortcut to say I need I literally need somebody who's the exact same as me or a group of people who are the exact same as me so that I can you know feel, safe and um it's that's why it's important to find people within the larger group with whom you feel that one-on-one really strong resonance you know but then that should serve and it does when i see it happen when people are able to do that that serves as like a let's say a safe home base so to speak for then the further explorations out into the galaxy and um that's typically how i see this issue resolved if people get stuck on trying to make the galaxy like them so that they can feel a sense of belonging mm-hmm. you know it, it just they, they wear themselves out and they really start i mean they just well i guess it's you know re-traumatizing essentially sadly. it is yeah absolutely
0: yeah and i i i really love that you're bringing that, that the the answer is like always a yes and you, it's like not yeah. saying, "Oh, th- that is that is because of my trauma." Therefore, I shouldn't look for people who are like, because right. that's the, you know that would be the typical sort of like self denial of yeah. trauma to say I've been doing it wrong, therefore I shouldn't do that. Uh, but instead, recognizing that you know the inner child doesn't need somebody that mirrors and validates mm-hmm. uh, some level of sameness. But then the alchemy happens when that sameness gets internalized enough for, yeah. it, for difference to feel safe. So then you need absolutely
1: need both. Exactly. Yeah. And to not try to do it in the opposite direction. Like, yeah. that, like so it's not like, okay, go meet everybody. Go, you know, go appreciate the galaxy and then you're going to feel safe within yourself. It just doesn't, I mean... I'd love no. to say it could work that way, but it just doesn't. No. It really is about, yeah, that that one-on-one sort of intimate mirroring. Yeah, yeah. This is, is super interesting. That This comes up with
0: clients a lot who are upset with themselves because they're like, why do I want
1: so much validation? <laughs> I hear this all the time. Yeah. What's like, wrong? Why, why do I need so much validation? Am I a narcissist? Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And it's like, why do I need to hear from others that they feel the same way. And, and then I say, you're looking for mirroring. <laughs> <No>, you've never <laughs> had it. It's normal to be starving. For it. Yeah. yeah people have so much shame about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, that that's one of the things that is exciting for me to like normalize both. Yeah, And, uh, and because I don't know, I think this might be, maybe resonates with you, Jen. But for me, it was part of the trauma. Was also look on the other person's perspective. Like I was always being asked, prompted, told in many ways. Look on the other person's perspective. Have compassion for them. Yeah. In in a sense, for not understanding me. In brackets. Yep. And and know that everybody's struggling, and that's why they're being mean. Or you know, et cetera. Et cetera. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so. For me, it was very healing to to give myself permission to be on my own side in some way. Same. Yeah, not not have to
1: look at the other side first. (laughs) Well, and I mean, like you said, it's a yes and because it became easier for me to look at the other side and say, yeah, like they're in a different place, they're not interested in the same things. They're you know, they're dealing, they have a family and kids and they're super busy or like whatever, you know, while I was validating my need for the yeah. direct intimate yeah. mirroring, you know, because I, I did grow up like you in that sense where it was like, oh, well, you know, you should always favor the other person's perspective and your perspective comes last. And so to um, make those two things equal, you mm-hmm. know, it it changed the way that I was able to construct a social ecosystem around me because I wasn't looking for everybody to be I remember when I went through this shift and it was like monumental it was really like changing dimensions when I realized that I don't need everybody to like me (laughs) Um. (laughs) oh yeah Uh, that's big healing right there it was huge I mean I, I don't know how it got stuck in my I mean I well I do I could tell a long story but I won't but it got stuck in my head, you know, as a kid that it was like an all or nothing thing. Somehow it got stuck in my head that way. And realizing later on that it's, it's not, I, I, I truly, I can't even handle, I can't even handle like 20 intimate friends. Like that's just socially overwhelming to me. So, um, what, why am I thinking like that? I need 8 billion of them. Like what, what is that? You know? And, 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 you know, then it's, it's not even realistic, like for, all of the obvious reasons but it, yet in my head it was like you know a really black and white thing i, I need everybody to like me
0: yeah oh, that's such a huge maturation point place.
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah yeah.
0: like, oh, relief i don't need it like. not yeah.
1: like this doesn't like you exactly but the way that became real for me though and, and this speaks entirely to the point we've been talking about the whole time is the way that became real somatically for me, like I had accepted that on an intellectual level some years before, but when it really felt okay and good in my body for that to be true was when I started to have some gifted friends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then I was like, Oh, well I actually don't need the world to like me because I got these people and they're awesome. Like, you know, they were the, they were ones who mirrored enough of what was important to me and enough of my values and stuff that, it felt like that and then I was like oh well I mean I kind yeah. of feel full so I don't really I wouldn't actually have room for more so if yeah. other people like me or not that's cool but I don't I don't really have to think about it anymore
0: yeah I remember like when when that hit me and I came to you I was like I can die happy now <laughs> 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 it's like my life purpose is done <laughs> else icing on the cake." <laughs>
1: yeah
0: <laughs> or like you know like if i if if you know the internet broke forever i would still know these people are out there and that's enough. Right.
1: yeah i think about that all the time because you know yeah. i always have these disastrous scenarios going on through in my mind like that a solar flare is gonna you know ruin the whatever and we're never gonna have internet again and then mm-hmm. and then i'm like oh but i know these people exist and that makes life worth living yeah <laughs> so it would be cool I think to um you know jump out a bit a bit more meta to people to just you know talk to some of our listeners who maybe aren't involved in our community and so yeah don't have you know this sort of specific context that we're talking about and for anybody in our community who is listening but also needs to connect with you know gifted peers in in real life as well, and um, are working on healing from gifted specific trauma or gifted specific relational trauma in in their real life, not only in you know the, our community. So maybe I'd be curious to hear from you. Like you've done this wonderful course this year on wholeness based relating for gifted people. I'd be curious to hear from you. Like what um, would be you know three two three four you know, tips or general ideas that you would give to somebody who's saying, okay, I think I'm ready to do the work, you know, and take the risks that come with healing from my gifted specific relational trauma. How do I do that in my real life? Like, what do I, what do I, what do I do when I wake up tomorrow? How do I, Mm. how do I start to look at this?
0: Mm -hmm. That is an awesome question. So there's this sort of like overarching, idea that I give people um when that when that question arises. There are sort of like two streams to that healing process. Uh, one is the somatic and we've talked about how trauma is registered in the body, how there's like basically nothing we can do about that part. I'm not I don't mean it in the healing aspect, but like that's an unavoidable part of the healing process is to work with the somatic aspect of Uh, of trauma and the other one is the metacognitive aspect so um one of the things you know like just super practical to work with the somatic aspect is to do some kind of somatic therapy with a person who is either gifted themselves or willing to learn about giftedness uh or to do so um you know under the sort of meta guidance with a gifted coach so as to tie in together what happens in the gifted nervous system with our understanding of the experiences and you know all the stuff that we were talking about we're like we're giving language to the things that we've been experiencing in our body so that's like the one stream and the metacognitive however is the aspect of taking in the information learning about oneself um to create one's own i call it like the manual of me uh <laughs> I like that. the user's manual learns as much as you can about yourself so that you can validate who you are in the real world so that you can learn okay this is how i work because I have this aspect of me. Um, I've described it all, almost like Russian dolls, right? Like we have the giftedness doll and inside it there might be like, um, the Myers-Briggs profile doll. And like that there might be like, if we're too E, then there might be like whatever our exceptionality is and so on and so forth. Like different aspects of self and learning to really, really get into the nitty gritty details to really validate those things for yourself, which creates in turn a sort of like ripple effect of rewriting history or rewriting reality a little bit, uh, where we can look at what's happened in our life or what is happening in our lives, not from the perspective that we had when we were traumatized, but from the perspective of understanding that it's um, that it's valid, that it's maybe not personal, that it's a cultural issue, that you know there's oppressive forces in culture that have created certain circumstances that led to trauma, uh, that there's ignorance about giftedness, and yeah, like you said, whenever possible, having gifted people in your life, learning to spot them, will be incredibly helpful. But that sometimes comes hand in hand with understanding and validating its own giftedness and just like really looking into all the aspects. In the book, The Gifted Adult, um, there is a whole section on how like intensity, complexity and drive manifest. And it's like lists of characteristics and how they can show up if they're balanced or if they're exaggerated are collapsed and they are all valid sort of natural gifted characteristics and those we can learn to validate um so that would be always my first step so like learning you know like recapping on one hand is learning what reality-based concepts are helpful for me to validate my existence and on the other hand working with my soma so that I could really those uh, trauma patterns that are there, and that will continue to be there unless I
1: rewrite them. Yeah, that's beautifully said. Mm-hmm. And I think one, like one thing that you said that's so important is, um, like, learning which mod, which models you can use. You know, mm-hmm. for understanding yourself. Because I get a, I've you know over the years I've gotten lots and lots of resistance around first the word gifted second mm-hmm. the idea of giftedness levels if i'm mm-hmm. gifted why do i need to know what level personality type personality typing is nonsense and so on and so on um what's the point uh, of knowing these things then and um and even some of the choice exceptionalities you know for for example autism you know a lot of adults say well why do why should i bother getting a diagnosis and i'm like it doesn't really i, I don't really care if you get a diagnosis but knowing what it is might be really helpful for you to help yourself explain your behaviors to other people so that they, you know, so that they can better relate to you because I think, um, and the same thing about personality and the same thing about giftedness levels and everything else, because it is our responsibility. And I mean, things like if I could, you know, kind of put a neon title on everything we're talking about (laughs) today. Um, it's tough because when you, when you come from trauma, you know, you are a victim in a way. Yeah. But but in order to heal from trauma, you have to take responsibility for yourself and the way that you interact with the world and that's a really really tough switch over because it uh, there's a lot of unfairness that's experienced there, which is Absolutely. like yeah. other people weren't responsible toward me, so why is it my why do I have to be the one that, you know, kind of raises myself so to speak? And it feels totally unfair because the correct or healthy setup of life is that somebody would have been responsible for you in a, in a healthy way so that then you would have only had to take responsibility for yourself later when you were developed enough to be able to do that in a healthy way. And so there can be a really strong resistance to taking responsibility for oneself. But once I, and you know, for some of us it really takes us hitting rock bottom to be willing to do that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really this final act of surrender where you're like, okay, well, I, I mean, you know, for some of us, it's, we become suicidal. For some of us, it's, we really, you know, we, we really mess up our relationships. We, you know, our partner leaves us or whatever our kids hate us, or it it can be something really, really dramatic. You know, for some people it doesn't take them getting to that extreme. Oh yeah. Some of us, it's chronic illness. I shouldn't leave that one out. Um, Because it's a common manifestation as well, but it's, you know, to some extreme, and then we're like hitting—we've hit some sort of rock bottom for ourselves, and then we're like, "Okay, I don't actually care what's fair or not. I just want to live." Yeah. And so then there's this—you know—this strong inner commitment comes, and then it's like, "Okay, I will take responsibility. I'll use whatever words I need to use. I'll use whatever concepts I need to use. I want a life that's worth living," and that's a key moment. So, like again, I mean, not everybody has to you know, hit rock bottom to get there, but a lot of us do. And whatever gets us there, it's that moment where we say, okay, I don't have to be resisting all of these concepts. I don't have to be resisting taking responsibility for myself. This world is a big playground that I, and I get to decide which equipment I use and stuff. And if this particular equipment of these particular models or, you know, these linguistic frameworks, if they're going to be useful for me, to be able to take responsibility for myself and the way that I relate to other people. Okay. I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. So like, and and that's the, uh, that's the healthy adult way, you know, like I always say in my work, psychological, being a full psychological adult, that's the way a full psychological adult uses anything. The concept of God, the concept of the self, the concept of culture, any of these things that, you know, we kind of put in a package and, you know, tie a bow on it. Um, we use it responsibly, which means that um, it's used to facilitate something. It's not used as an as a strict identity thing that's going to separate us from other people. It's used to facilitate connection. And we think of giftedness, the idea of you know the word gifted, the word uh, profoundly, the words profoundly gifted or mildly gifted, or you know um, autistic or whatever. If you're using it in a way that facilitates connection. Then you're using it responsibly toward you know toward yourself and for yourself and of course toward other people. But I think responsibility towards others really starts with responsibility towards oneself. And um, and so it's a lot of you know a lot of my work and I know you know this a lot of my work is really working with people about their resistance yeah. toward. Self knowledge, and it's ironic because you need know, you think, oh, well, a gifted person wants to know everything, so they're going to be they're going to swallow up that self knowledge right away and be re- re- ready to use that. And that's not very often. That's not the case. There are tons of resistances um, that we deal with all the time, and uh, part of that can just be just the lack of interest. Like I've worked with people who you know they adore math or they adore music and arts, but they have zero interest in psychology. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and I, so for those people, I say just, just learn enough so that you can, you know, be um. Let's say a simple master. Like you don't have to be a, you don't have to become a psychologist. You know, just, just learn enough so that you can you can know yourself well enough to facilitate the communicate uh, the, the connections that are meaningful to you. You know, you might not need to be having powwows and kumbayas. You know, and that's totally cool. You don't need to, but um. But if you want to be connecting you know, on, a, on a deeper level, then you need to have some sort of linguistic framework. So the way that you describe that is really beautiful because it illustrates that it's, um, it is that. It, it is a self-choice. It's, a, it's a, a playfulness with language, but also at the same time a commitment to oneself and a commitment to facilitating those connections and not sitting there you know, with your arms crossed saying, well, it's just going to magically happen or, or it will never happen. So what's the point? <laughs> right. And so still poor me, it was always this way and it'll always be that way. Yeah. Because there is a point that, you know, in adult relating, there is a point where, I mean, you feel, you feel for somebody that has trauma, but then there is a point where you go, I do feel for you, but, but now, now you have to do something like I'm not yeah. going to continue to feel for you if you sit there and not not do anything. Like it's, I'm going to feel for you like you know, human to human. But move, <laughs> you know, if you can, I, yeah, you I know. Move an, just move an inch. Like you don't have to move mountains. Just move a little bit. You know, just do the it next. Sometimes time. a little bit is enough. <laughs> yeah, a little bit is enough because it's that is how trauma is healed. And like you and I both know, I still get. Tra- I have you know, yeah. a rich history of. Childhood trauma and other versions of relational trauma throughout throughout my younger years, and um, I still get triggered. I yeah. mean, it's not. I and I I've given up. We talked about this the last time a bit. I mean, I've given up on the idea that someday it's all just going to be one hundred percent, as one of my lovely clients says, sun, "sunshine and rainbows." You know, um, but yeah, it's just a one step at a time thing. Uh, well gifted people don't typically like one step at a time which is part of the part of the rub for a lot of people just Mm -hmm. let me fix it today tell me exactly what i do i'll fix it all today and then everything's going to be good no it is a it is a one step at a time thing and taking responsibility it's same here
0: like i'm i'm also having to be you know constantly resurfacing with you know triggers or whatever and it's the how we connect with them or how we respond to those moments yeah Exactly.
1: Um, the other thing you said that I wanted to comment on was, um, just about the somatic aspect as well, Mm -hmm. because that is one thing that, you know, lots of people want to just skip right over. We talked about it a bit last time in terms of the idea of just like, just tell me the answer. I'll intellectually integrate it. And then we're good. I don't, I don't believe in all of that, you know, esoteric stuff. I've had so many people tell me, I don't believe in that esoteric stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's not esoteric. It's pure science. It's pure science. It's straight there in your body. That's how, that's how it works. Um, And so it's it's um it's one of those things that can be really overwhelming for other people if you don't deal with that aspect. Yeah. So when i talk about like this idea of responsibility toward other people, you know, relational responsibility, um it is once you're aware of it, i mean, it's hard to assign responsibility to a traumatized person frankly, but yeah. let's say once you start to become aware that you do have this these patterns these body patterns that react in a certain way that cause you to whatever, Um, if you go and you try to intellectually deal with that relationally, so you, you end up putting that relational responsibility on somebody else by trying to deal with it only on the intellectual level. I mean, basically you're acting in an irresponsible way. And it's because another person can't help you. I mean, unless they're trained, another person isn't really there to help you heal your somatic issues so to speak
0: yeah Um, and even if you're if you're you know we're speaking about connecting with other gifted people gifted people tend to you know some of us are very sensitive we'll smell that from miles away and it feels
1: very heavy extremely heavy yeah so for any of us who are empaths it's it's extremely overwhelming and i mean i feel one of the reasons that i was attracted to my work as a psychologist and then coach you know was I mean why like I was fascinated to find out how can you avoid being overwhelmed by that all the time because I was always in my life and I had you know now in a professional role it's nice because I can say that's I can point out what it is because it's appropriate in a professional support relationship for me to say hey you have somatic stuff that you're trying to sort of push on to me intellectually and, and, and trying to make me solve intellectually but i can't because i can't get in your body with my intellect yeah. and um and and i can say that i mean socially that's a lot more difficult so even in a you know even in our community that that's not even something that i can say directly to somebody because that's you know that would be socially strange yeah um, it's, it's like a very private layer of connection. right yeah right yeah, so yeah, I mean, you brought up like two super, super important points. And as you always do, you did, you did so in such a graceful, beautiful manner. So I, <laughs> I'm so happy, like with somebody listening that they'll hear it that way. Because what you said are, are things that, you know, have been said uh, in some way or another, but usually it's heard like, well, you just need therapy. So just go get therapy. And it oh, doesn't explain why. <laughs> Or just take a personality test, then you'll understand, and then you'll then you'll be able to relate, you know, more as a whatever INTJ, and mm-hmm. then everything's going to be fine. And and it's not that's not a good enough explanation. That's you know, it's uh, it's too unidimensional yeah. for a gifted it really person to read. Like
0: a whole tapestry or like a patchwork quilt, sometimes of solution-oriented uh, bits that yeah. join together. To
1: create this whole yeah exactly the little, the little pieces on their own they don't do much exactly so like i kind of want to just point out some of the resources that we have in our community that can help with this and um maybe there would be a couple um like hints that we could give to everybody in terms of like basically if this is where you're at maybe this is the next best thing you know maybe this is the next thing that would help you take that next little inch step forward or whatever so one of the things that came to my mind when you were talking about learning about yourself was obviously our giftedness assessments um yeah so that's with me either myself or with silver huang who is a coach in our community and runs the partner project of InterGifted, which is Intrepid Integrity. So we do qualitative giftedness assessments, and that's not IQ testing. We don't do any testing, so don't worry. Um, We do this through a a bit of um, homework preparation and then through a long discussion. And we help you you place yourself where you are on the giftedness levels. Um, what your unique profile is in terms of your areas of intelligence. So, you know, emotional intelligence, creative intelligence, intellectual intelligence, and so on. And looking at any choice exceptionalities you might have, um, cultural influences, trauma factors that relate to giftedness or otherwise, and how that may be uh, hindering your giftedness expression and so on. So what people report is that it really is a life changer for them because even like i do assessments sometimes with clients who have worked with me for in coaching for years and it's it's always interesting because a lot information comes out in their assessment that doesn't that didn't come out during the last you know two years of coaching because it's a conversation that's really dedicated to helping them see how the flow of their mind works you know which areas of intelligence are are predominant and how do the other areas flow in through or around or whatever how do they support or you know or um fight with or whatever the other areas and you know, kind of how are all of the puzzle pieces in the mosaic of one's life functioning together or dysfunctioning together uh, mm-hmm. to to make uh, make each person you know relate better or worse or whatever. What and what are the particular opportunities and challenges? So, both on the level of you know career and personal, it's a really insightful process. So that's something that's highly recommended. Um,
0: yeah. It's like, it's like getting a huge, like fast track to that manual of yourself. Yeah. It's going to be in a, in an environment or with a person, either John or silver, who is going to be mirroring so deeply that it's like they're seeing into your very soul. So it's really not to be underestimated how powerful these assessments are.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, now I don't want to toot my own horn, as (laughs) you said before, Um, but that is the general feedback that it's it's really shocking in a positive way to have such a clear, um, feedback. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and generally the thing is like that people say both about silver and me, how do you, how did you do that? How can you see that? How do you know that about me? How is it possible that you defined, you know, you defined my, my brain so well and my, my thought process so well after, you know, 30, 40 years of me living with it. And I couldn't even start, you know, I couldn't even figure out where to start to do that. So, um, so yeah, it's a really great process. And for a lot of people that come, yeah, that come into the community and are like really overwhelmed with the thought of how to connect and where to go next and what to do and whatever, it's a great starting point as well, because, Again, it helps you identify your particular challenges and opportunities. And we go into very specific recommendations in terms of resources to explore. Um, We make specific um, or customized coaching recommendations or therapy recommendations, depending on if you need that or mentoring or some other form of support if something else is more fitting. And yeah, so we do a lot of follow-up and a lot of people that go through the assessments end up becoming more active in our community because, you know, they've been able to have that sort of, let's say first level guidance. That's like you said, kind of a, you know, user's manual to go, okay, all right. I think I know what my opportunities are here and what, and I know how to rise to the challenges of trying to connect and making friends and, you know, going to the next level of connection with, with this pool of people that I now have at my fingertips, so to speak. Um, then, so then the next obvious thing is coaching or mentoring, and we have our twenty-five-ish coaches and mentors in our network who are all wonderful, and many of whom have trained with me, and um, who are all themselves gifted. And so, um, there's a huge wide wide range of what you can work on in coaching or mentoring, and it can be anywhere from giftedness, you know, self-discovery, to um, to looking at gifted specific traumas to uh, working on your career to learning more connection skills like people can do with you Mm cutting and um yeah so that's a wide range so those are like the professional support options that we have within InterGifted, and we can also help you search for a gifted specific therapist if that's what you need we don't provide therapy but we can help you look for one look for therapist out there um so that's within our organization. And then the articles on our blog, all written by our coaches and mentors within our network. And um, really, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're really, I want to say, they're, they're deeper articles than you typically get online. They really go into, you know, um, personal stories from the coaches and advice and tips on how to start this process for yourself and deepen this process for yourself so a lot of people write to us and tell us yeah i mean this article was transformational for me i really i learned so much i've changed so much and so on from reading it so that's a great great resource as well Mm -hmm. so then yeah maybe we can just give a couple tips in terms of uh besides within our organization maybe other things that people can start to think about who maybe are realizing through listening to us or uh, who knew beforehand and are just you know, sitting there curious, like, what are, what, so, so what should I do next kind of thing? Um, and then the others who are realizing that maybe they do have some gifted specific trauma or relational trauma that, that they would like to work through. So what would be some, you know, a couple next steps that you would think of, of suggesting to them?
0: Mm, are Are you thinking also like in terms of like reading material? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Some of the things that you like recommend most commonly to your clients, besides um, the assessment process.
0: Yeah, like I'm. I'm trying to think because I have such like I have so many multiple streams. I know. I recommend. Um. So. Uh, For instance, what I said before, Don Catfioco on loneliness Mm -hmm. can be sort of like um, greatly validating in terms of understanding that actually this this pain the person's been feeling is not fake. And it's not like, you know, it's no less powerful and life disruptive and no less trauma than if they had been starving or mm-hmm. if they were, you know, the the thing that we were saying before about the body registering the trauma, regardless of what the narrative is about the trauma. Mm-hmm. So that would be an offer that I very much recommend. Um, when it comes to things like uh, learning how to better interact, because we haven't had enough, uh, enough of like a, Mirroring or role modeling of, of positive interaction. Um, this is sort of like a meta thing, but it's a it's a big favorite among clients and and like the students in my course. And it's called the Wheel of Consent by Betty Martin. And you can find this online if you just Google Wheel of Consent Betty Martin. She is a therapist who works mainly with uh, you know physical touch and psychologists. So the wheel of consent does go into the subject of sexual consent and or and or like physical touch consent, but it's very easy and and straightforward to um, to equate that to psychological contact, and to see what are some graceful and uh, and nourishing ways that we can have contact with one another in ways that don't require opening the fire hose in somebody else's face and and still get those relational needs met and uh so that's a huge favorite like i said
1: Um, it's one of my favorites too
0: yeah i love it and uh what else for people who are struggling with um understanding what trauma is like and how trauma can show up or people who have had an idea that trauma is only only dramatic, like drama equals trauma, Um, Mm -hmm. I send them to read Peter Walker's uh, book on PTSD Mm -hmm. because he presents such a clear and uh, accessible understanding of what can be quote-unquote normal expressions of trauma. And Mm -hmm. he goes into explaining the freeze, uh, fight, flight, and fawn responses as they show up in everyday life. And, uh, and and it illuminates how many of us have complex trauma and we can be quite functional regardless. Yeah. So that would be one to illuminate sort of the trauma layer.
1: Um, What else? As you're thinking um, of any others, I would add... Um, there's a great website called Out of the Fog. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a website that's really dedicated to helping people who live with, live with or relate with or have a relationship with somebody with a personality disorder. But I find that the, um, the website is actually brilliant for anybody who's gone through any sort of relational trauma um, that veers toward abusive behavior um, because a lot of people who have been in abusive relationships, uh, growing up or as adults don't actually realize that the behaviors that are happening to them, like have a name and yeah. are considered abusive behaviors. And it's really, it's really a good, I mean, it can be painful to realize, but once again, it's like, um, getting it out of the, um, just, I had a, I had a dysfunctional family, um, category which is like just throwing it all in the closet and not looking at it and kind of bringing it out and looking at the different pieces in the closet and going like what do i need to do with this and how can i how can i heal this part of my past kind of thing um so there's on that website so out of the fog means out of the fear obligation and guilt and typically you know dysfunctional relationships keep you in some version of fear obligation and guilt and on the on that site they give all sorts of information but one of the most interesting pages that i uh sometimes send people to who have had significant relational trauma is the one that's called 100 traits Mm -hmm. um and it just lists like 100 more or less 100 behaviors that are considered abusive so for example gaslighting that's one of the common ones that's an abusive behavior that a lot of people don't they they grew up not realizing that they were going through this behavior with parents or other authority figures or or whatever and so for example just this gaslighting is when you're experiencing something with somebody they're let's say they're bullying you and you express you cry you tell them to stop you try to defend yourself and they tell you i wasn't doing anything i was doing it for your own good or or you're imagining it i would never do something to hurt you you're being too sensitive you're being too sensitive and this this a weird version of this for example can happen for gifted people because you can say for example as a gifted person like i yeah i mean i'm really upset by the thing that you did because inside it really affects me and my complexity in this particular way or my sensitivity in this particular way and the other person says i didn't do anything to you you're making it up Mm -hmm. they may not be an abusive person but the fact that they're telling you that your reality isn't your reality is still a form of gaslighting for you and they might be doing it totally innocently like they might really believe that they didn't hurt you but they did and so seeing that they're that these relational dynamics happen and realizing that you're le- you are legitimate, you're, your feelings are legitimate and you're legitimate for having those feelings starts to really help you separate things out and realize what's your reality and what, was, what are the things that have been sort of pushed on you um, through the behavior, let's say irresponsible behavior of other people. Um, or sometimes it's really, sometimes it's just innocent ignorance, but nonetheless... Yeah it happened to you and having a name for it and seeing what it is can really help you to point it out. Because if you then need to go to a helping professional, it's a lot easier to be able to come in and start the dialogue in a constructive way. If you're able to come in and say, okay, listen, these are the things that I've I've realized have happened to me. And now I want to change those behavior. I want to change those relational templates for myself. Um, You know, then it starts the whole discussion in a constructive way where you already know what has been happening for you and you're able to say, and I want this to be different because I know now, I now know that it needs to be different for myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really good resource in terms of if, if there's any sort of abusive dynamic or well, just basically relational problems, dysfunctional relationships and stuff, you'll see some of those behaviors on there that will describe things that you have been through. So it'll help you start to label it so that you can get the right support for it.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, like a lot of, basically a lot of the work we do is helping people get the right words for the things they're
1: experiencing. So, Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, it's true. A lot of our work is really around articulation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. and so as you were saying that, I would, uh, sometimes, you know, like I was you know, running through my inventory also. And a lot of times when clients are just discovering giftedness, um, one of the things I'll recommend is the book Living with Intensity mm-hmm. to, uh, again, to validate and legitimize the things where they've been pulled there too much. So it's another, another, mm-hmm. another form of gaslighting, if we want to call it that, uh, in, in the sense that it has provoked a sense of pain, fear, shame around being who they are um, and having to diminish themselves or con- be very controlling around their behavior. So uh, it's an explanation of Swarovski's the theory of positive disintegration, and it illuminates the overexcitability that he labeled, which are the, kind, the um, six different categories that get assessed in the assessment. Yes. Uh, so it's another resource that one could take to look at and legitimize the experience of being intense, being complex, being driven, and and feeling like that's not good
1: and discovering that it can be yeah um Mm -hmm. as you're saying that then um, the other um recommendation that i would have is actually reading one of or both of our ebooks our community ebooks which are available on our website um they they're they're amazing compilations of people's honest yeah, honest journeys, you know, as they're looking toward embracing, I mean, the first one is called Embracing the Gifted Quest. It's really about embracing oneself and, and the quest to understand one's own gifted self. It's a really beautiful compilation. Um, and just being able to read our different um, members' stories and the ways that they have faced their own fears and their own gifted traumas and their own relational you know, faux pas and everything else uh, on the way to connecting. And then our second one, which is called Being Me uh, and uh, Reflections on the Path to Authenticity, mm-hmm. on the Gifted Person's Path to Authenticity. And again, it goes really deep into people's lives. Karen, you have a beautiful entry in there mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think, yeah, I mean, that seems like a pretty good list for people to start out with.
0: Yeah. And we have more. <laughs> oh, we could just go <laughs> on for, for,
1: yeah. for days, yeah. weeks. Yeah. And I'm sure that some other uh, resources will come up in future um, conversations that we have on this topic. So, yeah. so oh.
0: I, I've loved our conversation. I love where we've branched out and what
1: had a chance to explore and articulate. Same. And I'll be really curious to hear from our. Our, our listeners you know what's what's most relevant for them and all of this you know as uh, the two of us being on the professional side now of dealing with this though we do have still our personal own, our own personal journeys um it removes us from the immediate immediacy of it sometimes mm-hmm. and so yeah feedback is welcome and, and curiosities and questions and requests all of that is quite welcome So. Please feel free.
0: So thank you, Jen, for sharing your time and your presence and your beautiful wisdom and reflections. It's been a pleasure as always. Same to you. All right. Bye, everyone, and until next time. Bye, everyone. Next time.